Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions and games. And in today's episode, we head to the bridge of the interdecisional spaceship for a look back at our journey in 2023. We're ranking each and every game we covered on the show this year. And by the end of today's episode, you'll know our definitive rankings for all 19 games we covered on the show this year. Last year, we covered 27 games, Jake. That's crazy. It is insane. In this episode, we'll review the community's top 10 games, and you'll also learn what Jake and I's combined number one decision space of the year is. And yes, this is actually our 150th episode of Decision Space. So thank you so much to all of you for being here with us. Yeah, thank you so much. And it's how fitting that our 150th episode lands on this one, where we get to recap all the games that we've dove deep into this year. Obviously, it's been a little bit of a different year on Decision Space, less deep dives, as we've sort of exhausted a lot of the games that we had known and loved prior to starting this show. So basically everything we've covered this year more or less has been new to us totally since we started recording. Um, And it's just been an awesome journey. So if you've found joy, fun, enjoyed listening to us, uh, thank you so much. It means a ton. You can support us. We have a Patreon at decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash decision space. I think we're up to 39 patrons right now, which is amazing. Thank you so much to everyone in that Patreon community. We have some cool perks up there. We always put our show notes up there that Brendan works hard on. We have recently done videos of all our recordings that come out before the show. So that's another perk there. But you know, those are small things and mainly it just helps us to continue doing this show. Uh, so if you are able we would absolutely love to have your support as well as we move forward into the new year so that's my shill brendan i love it following this week we're going to take a one week break from decision space and we'll be back uh the subsequent week with a reflections episode on the show overall sort of where we are what we've accomplished where we're going the sort of past present future of the show just want to give everyone a heads up that you won't see us in your feed next week but don't go anywhere come running back We'll see you in the week after. And if you want to give us your thoughts uh, and share maybe a blurb about the show, why you listen to Decision Space, we would love for you to do that. You can go to our our Discord, which you can find a link to in our show notes, and to the podcast talk channel. And there's a nice little prompt in there that people are responding to now. And like I said, we'll read some of those out on the show. But for now, I think let's get right into our 2023 year in review. And Jake, one thing I love about this episode of Decision Space every year is that literally every single game we'll talk about is an episode of Decision Space that you, the listener, can go discover which is pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll touch on the games here, but obviously if you want the full deep dive, there's an episode for it. So the format here will rank from 19 up to one. We'll have whoever independently between us, we did our own list, ranked it higher, be the one to introduce that game. And we'll just discuss it really briefly. And yeah, Brendan, so maybe you should take it away and I'll let you do the honors with our number 19 game of the year. Thank you. But before we get into it, one quick thing, because every year we've done this. I we said who our most covered designer <laughs> is, Jake. We have to talk about it just really quickly. Our most covered designer this year 
Kramer and Keesley together. The year of K and K. For sure. Jake and I this year spent a lot of time thinking about, recording episodes about Kramer and Keesling games. Uh, and I think it, it really shows. This year we covered, okay, let me see if I can do it off the top of my head. Renature, Call and Torres. Yeah. Yeah. You know, been thinking about the games that they've designed beyond that as well. And sort of, we did our, for the first time ever, kind of like a designer deep dive, right? Yes. Which was fun. And that's something that people are already requesting more of in sort of the next phase of decision space in 2024. So yeah, absolutely. So I think the first year was kind of like the Kinesia year. And then we kind of had a Feld year and now K&K. So what designer should we cover next year? Kinesia. (laughs) Put it in the Discord. (laughs) Or else we'll just cycle through those three. But okay, with that, out of the way. Brendan, what do you say? I throw it to you for you to kick off with our number 19 game of the year. Our number 19 game of the year. Top 20 already. Top 20 already. Here we are. I actually, I'm really glad that we covered this number of games this year because I think it let us think more deeply about them. But our number 19 game of the year, I don't think Jake and I or either of us are remotely close to huge fans of this game. I think we'll talk about where where in this list we become huge fans or at least fans of yeah. this game. Like what I, the, I was going to ask you that. I like, won't at what turn point this down. Yeah. Are we in like unequivocally decision space recommends this yeah, game? Yeah. I don't we're think we're there it. yet. We are not there yet. We, <laughs> yeah. We're going to check back in on that question. So the number 19 game is Zularetto. I don't want to spend too much time on Zularetto because its cousin game, Coloretto, is higher on both of our lists. But Zularetto is a game by uh, Michael Satch- Satchet? Anyway, uh, <laughs> the designer... Gosh darn it. Oh uh, designer of... 150 episodes and no more professional. This is the episode that you said, Chahina. <laughs> I said what? You said China instead of China. Okay. Anyway, just to blunt my blunder there. But yeah, so Zularetto is this interesting-ish. It it takes the system of Colorado and it says, what if Colorado was a bigger game? A more full, full game night experience family game. So it takes this core system of laying out sort of different options to different rows and allowing players to potentially take them and add them to their zoo. Uh, It's a set collection game at its heart, so you're trying to get different types of animals, add them to your zoo to get lots of points. There's some nice twists in Zularetto where maybe you're trying to get animals of the right gender so you can get a breeding pair, or maybe you're going to buy an animal from someone else's zoo and bring it to your zoo. Zularetto I found to be the perfect example of a game where I would so much rather play the lighter version of it. We can get into this when we talk about Colorado, but I think there's perfect decisional fit to the game of Colorado. The sort of decision space offered in that game and the weight of the game just nails it. And Colorado adds a lot of extra fluff that just doesn't enhance the game too much. Totally, I agree. And so this was my number 19 game and Brendan's number 17. I think the reason that it's so far down isn't that this is a terrible game by any stretch. It's just that we also covered the original version of this game, which we both preferred. So when we're literally comparing two things that play in such a similar space and like one far more, that's sort of why this one ended up down there. So let's move right along to our number 18 game of the year. And this is Messina 
1347 by Vladimir Suchi. Uh, so Messina is a, I think, a quite interesting worker placement slash worker movement game where you are building infrastructure. You have a really beautiful art player board uh, that has a nice, fun puzzle as well, where you're kind of like progressing this like overseer token around your board. The theming is deeply strange in this game where you're kind of like rescuing people from the plague, but then like making them work in your factories. But that's not really the reason why this game didn't hit on all cylinders for me. I think for whatever reason, and it's a little bit difficult to nail down, I did enjoy learning this game and I enjoyed playing it, but then I kind of hit a wall with it. And I think it it got to a point where I feel like I had kind of honed my strategy and I wasn't improving. It felt like some aspects of the game were extraneous in the sense that you kind of had to, in my impression, follow certain, you know, certain aspects of the game were more important and kind of had like an over centralizing effect on the decision space. So to me, it was just a case of a interesting game. uh, But the end product, the sum of its parts was not as cool combined as the parts individually. And for me, this was actually my number 19 game of the year. This So this Vladimir Suchi, I, I really enjoy his game Underwater Cities. So I was very excited to give Messina a try. And I think at its high, Messina is this really combo-rific, bursty game where you can have these exciting turns in the late game that kind of go on and on and on. But the rest of it just felt fell really flat for me. Uh, Nothing sparked any amount of joy. It felt like doing my homework and it was just an efficiency euro with not a lot of meaningful interaction. Uh, I didn't think this game made me appreciate how much I actually like Praga Kaput Regni compared to this game. Because when we covered Praga Kaput Regni, I sort of said, oh, I'm so disappointed. I loved Underwater Cities and Praga Kaput Regni just didn't do it for me. And now I realized, oh, Prague Kaput Regni really did it for me compared to Messina 1347. Uh, so yeah, that was my number 19 game of the year. Not my fave. And my number 17. And we will go to our consensus number 17 game next. And that was Santa Monica. And I'm realizing, Brendan, we really should have written down the designers of these games because I don't have this one at the top of my mind. Do you know the designer? I... Sure do. The designer is Josh Wood. Josh Wood. Okay. And I think Santa Monica, again, a very pleasant game experience. Uh, This is a tableau building card drafting game where you're the theming is great, right? You're building out Santa Monica beats. You're adding tourists. You're moving them around your board. Um, And I think the big shortfall for this game. And again, you know, I'll just as the last time I'll reiterate it. You know, these are not bad games here. Uh, We're being critical just because they're at the bottom of the list. We pretty much only cover games on this show that are interesting to us in in some reason. So, you know, just the fact that we played this enough and decided it was worthy of covering uh, among the 19 other games we covered, it should be like a big credit to this game. Uh, But I think that the thing that made it fall short compared to some of the other games on this list for me was just the variability, right? It felt like each game played out very similarly. Uh, There are different, we talked about this on the episode, different scoring criteria, different powers that you kind of cycle in and out of the game. But we found uh, that they didn't really change the decision space 
in any real meaningful or interesting ways. So it's sort of like variability for variability's sake, but without the like impact and punts that makes you want to like go back and try a new experience. Yeah. Santa Monica is an interesting one. This was my number 18 game of the year. And I think that for me, one of the things about this game, Jake, that sets it apart in addition to that, in terms of me realizing maybe it wasn't to my taste is how plotting some of the trends could feel. You'd sort of get actions like move five of your people one space each, uh, which yeah. feels amazing. But then when you see five compared to sometimes you're seeing numbers like two, sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Yeah, but it doesn't feel amazing. So you're not yeah. actually accomplishing all that much uh, on most of your turns in Santa Monica, which I think has a lot of appeal for some people, right? It's the, the cumulative effects of all of your actions ends up putting together what's there, but it means that the game has this really sort of samey feel all the way throughout where you're making really similar decisions every time you play, you're making really similar decisions every single turn, and it's sort of like eating a pleasant soup that never has a different flavor. So that's how I feel about Josh Wood's Santa Monica, my number 18 game of the year. And my number 16. So our combined number 16 game of the year is a John Perry... Alex Haig and Justin Vickers game that I think might be one of the most, maybe the most adorable game we covered on the show this year. And it is Spots. Spots is a press your luck dice rolling game that came out in 2022. It's one of the newest games we covered on the show also in which you are collecting uh, different dog cards and rolling dice, trying to match the pips on those dice to spots on the dog cards that you've collected. You want to be the first player to complete a certain number of these dog cards, and there's different tricks that you can do, which dictate how many dice you might be able to roll. When you roll those dice, you are potentially going to be able to re-roll them if you have bones. Uh, But if you go over a certain number of pips that you can't place on the dice that you roll, you bust, losing all your progress towards the spots that you already have on dogs. This sounds like a recipe for success. Really cute art. John Perry, the designer of Airland and Sea. Uh, Jake, are we in the unequivocally recommend zone yet? I I don't think so. Not for me either. (laughs) Yeah. Spots fell a little flat for both of us. I think in part because we felt like the decisions weren't quite as cutting and as meaningful as we wish they were, given the presentation of the game. These sort of different tricks that were presented uh, give sort of this illusion in a way of meaningful choice when oftentimes the decisions felt forced or obvious uh, and there are a few sort of very strong over centralizing strategies which in a push your luck game one feature of a push your luck game because of the luck and the variance is that games can just run long there's this mechanism that kind of gives you inevitability over getting what you need by just collecting lots of bones and just getting more and more bones. And then eventually you can just end the game, which maybe sounds good for a game that could go too long. So that we should say the bones allow you to re-roll. So you could create a situation where you can have like 10 re-rolls on a single turn, which kind of invalidates the fun of a push your luck decision space. That's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're in the minority. I think, you know, a, a gorgeous game, a nice family weight game, a lot of great selling points for spots. It just fell a little bit short for us. And Brendan, with that, let's move right along to our number 15 game of the year, Architects of the West Kingdom, designed by Shem Phillips. Are we here? This is, for me, the point in the list where I want to say the top 15. I would unequivocally recommend the remainder of the games, including this one that we're going to talk about on this episode. I 
agree maybe save one game that i'll i'll call out okay. but i, I like <laughs> the game i like the caveat. game okay maybe one caveat but i uh i'll be the in the all, minority opinion there yeah all the rest of mine are in our top 15 so yeah. anyway architects of the west kingdom is like a great kind of basic in some ways worker placement game which has all the hallmarks of worker placement you've got a board you've got workers you put them down on the board and they do things to benefit your position in the game uh, and like we saw uh, last year or two years ago whenever we covered a different shem phillips there's one really interesting twist to the formula that just kind of it, it's like a you know a mechanical hook in the best way where mm. every time you add a worker to a space you get extra value from taking that action but you have to be careful about adding too much because the piece de resistance is jail space where somebody could send their workers to round up all the workers of one color or more from a player uh, in a space. So if you put too many workers together, somebody can take those, send them all to jail and get paid out for it. Uh, and I think that tension just creates like a really fun uh, game that just flows great around the table. Uh, a nice entry kind of next level game. Not Maybe not like the first game you show somebody, um, but if somebody's like, yeah, I'd like to play like a strategy board game and I haven't played that many. I don't think there's many better places you can turn than Architects of the West Kingdom. I think that for me, Jake, one of the, my favorite things about Architects of the West Kingdom uh, is the pacing and flow of the game overall. Like you said, it just whips around the table, but it also has these really interesting sort of decision trees where you might take the same action four times in a row, five times in a row, six times in a row, waiting to see if someone will stop you, which feels so unique compared to a lot of games where in a lot of games, if you were sort of had that type of behavior, it might feel stale. Whereas in Architects, because of this mechanism where you're getting more every time you place more workers on the same spot, it ends up being really exciting. But there's also this novel sort of mechanism where you have a hand of cards uh, that are dictating what you can build for points more or less in the game. So those mean that the your path through the decision space every game is going to be meaningfully quite different. You can get more of those or fewer of those, kind of similarly actually to the routes that you can get in Ticket to Ride. There's a lot in this game that actually, in a strange way, kind of reminded us of Ticket to Ride, this sort of need to build up resources in the yeah. beginning of the game, build up, build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. And it's kind of this game of chicken of building resources. And then you all kind of like rush to get your points out on the table. And then invariably the game will end. There's this morality system in the game that is thematically interesting and comes into place sometimes. It's sort of one of the strategic paths you might take that I think is there in an interesting way to allow players to come back to the game and explore it more in a way I find rewarding. But maybe in my early plays found a little bit confusing in terms of how do I engage with this system in a way that is actually going to benefit me and not just slow me down. I like this game a lot. This is a game that I would happily accept a game of on Board Game Arena anytime. If someone offered to play it at a game night, I, I'd accept it. It's quick. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's charming and fun and, and nice and light. It's a, it's a sweet treat. And it plays great at two, plays great at five. It just fires on a lot of cylinders, even if it doesn't reach like the high highs of some of the other games we'll talk about a little bit later. So that was my number 11 game of the year and Brendan's number 14. And I like this game more than Raiders of the North Sea for me. Yeah. I, think I think it's like less thematically engaging and like sure. maybe a little bit 
more difficult to like find your way through the decision space. So I actually think like Raiders is a better one to introduce somebody to for yeah. their like first strategy game. But for me and my taste, I like Architects more. Awesome. So we okay. go on to our number 14 game of the yeah. year. And that's me once again uh, getting to introduce Arc Nova designed by Matthew Wiggy or Wig. Matthew, thank you for designing this great game. Our, I mean, Arc Nova needs no introduction at this point. It's won every board game accolade. You can get rising as high as what, like number four on the board game geek rank of best games of all time. Wow. Uh, is it that high? <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking? Um, oh, I, I think yeah. it definitely is. Yeah, yeah. Does it deserve number to be four? That number yeah. four. You know, I mean, does it, any game does it deserve any game? to what be? What does that even that? mean? Whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like whatever. Who cares? Uh, but what that does tell you is that like tons of people love, love this, this game. game. I also like it very much. <laughs> it is a game of building out your zoo of a heavy game, one of the heavier, maybe the heaviest in the top two heaviest games we covered this year um, has a great action selection mechanism where this game is like complicated as hell. There's rules coming at you from every angle, but it's all distilled down to this great action selection mechanism. It's kind of like a rondelle. Some would say where you are uh, taking an action. And after you take that action, you have to move it back to your number one spot. So you have a one, two, three, four, five spot. Whatever's in the five spot is like five values, like strong. And then it goes down. So that creates a really interesting tension as you play the game. Just like a great inherent decision space of like, I want to take this action. But if I wait a turn and do something maybe less optimal right now, then I'll get an even better version of that. And like, how do you navigate doing what you want to do in the right order and like getting more powerful actions uh it also has the last thing kind of i'll say about is the theming works for me in the sense that like you're building up something fun there's a bunch of different player boards that like feel different maybe they're not balanced or whatever uh, but they created you know you know just to draw distinction between santa monica every time i'm playing this game based on the setup based on the cards i have it's creating a totally new puzzle a totally new decision space to pick my way through. Uh, and yeah, I just think it's, you know, a great game, definitely deserving of praise that it gets. So for me, Arc Nova was my number 16 game of the year. I like Arc Nova, but kind of sounds I, like you don't. I, you know, Jake, I the core mechanism is just so awesome. It's sort of like to me, Arc Nova is almost like though someone says to me, like, do you want to go camping? And I'm like, I would absolutely love to go camping with you. And then I show up and it turns out we're glamping. And they've brought like <laughs> an RV. They have the satellite dish on top. And I'm like, we ended up here and there's so much stuff in the system. I just want to engage so funny, with that. That just sounds like way better than camping no, to me. No, <laughs> give me the core system. All I need is a Somebody tent. told me like we're camping and I show up and they're like, oh, actually we're staying at like a nice hotel. I'd be like, hell yeah. Dude. No, like, just let me system. play with the core system. I don't want to learn all this extra stuff. I think Arc Nova charmed me but it didn't at the end of the day excite me there's a lot about this game where i i was willing to meet it was where it was at give it what it asked i didn't feel like it gave in return as much as i had to give to get to the point where i was really engaging with the decisions it's not an interactive game almost at all there's just a little titch of interaction and i think that this comes down to personal taste for me i prefer slightly more interactive games that get me excited about looking at what's going on thinking about what's going on across the table not just you know 
being excited that Jake somehow managed to build the rhinos and the lions, which is also kind of fun. Yeah. That's interesting. Charming. Interesting thought for another time about like how heavy a game is, how much it asks of you Mm. and and like how much you want it to deliver back exact decision space you want. Right. Mm. Cause like Mm -hmm. maybe a lighter, less interactive game. Yeah. You're, you're, don't care as much about that but if i'm investing a lot of time and energy to learn it like i need there to be some interaction yeah and there is some interaction obviously but not as much as you would just a taste just a taste well that's arc nova our 14th game it was my number nine and brendan's number 16 and our number 13 game of the year is a 1999 spiel dr's winner by Kramer and Kiesling, and it is T-Call. Jake, are you surprised where this game ended up? No, I mean, I don't know. This seems about right to me. Maybe it's like one spot too low. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, okay, okay. We'll Just get into I, I had it at 12, and it's 13. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and I had it at 11. So T-Call is this really interesting sort of area control game that you get from uh, Wolfgang Kramer. He's sort of the designer of El Grande with Michael Urich. And then it's also a really puzzly game, uh, which I think Michael Kiesling brings to the to the puzzle in a lot of ways, the designer of Azul. It has this really famous action point system where you have this menu of actions that you can do on your turn uh, that give you a whole host of things, such as moving your workers, adding more workers to the board, digging for treasure, building up, t- un- uncovering temples that are these shared scoring locations, potentially paying a ton of your actions to claim a temple, giving up a, a worker for the rest of the game. This is a, a dynamic game where uh, each turn you're sort of communally building the board as you sort of explore this archaeological site together. And there's a few different uh, ways in which you're going to be getting points. I mentioned getting treasures, also fighting for these area control spots. Uh, to call is definitely feels of a different time. It, I think, makes some uh, decisions that we wouldn't see implemented in quite the same way today. The very the variation on the map is very trusting because it can go very wrong in terms of how punishing of a board you can end up with potentially. But there's really smart design decisions in this game that equip all of it to sort of work and function. And I think actually despite to call ending up one of our you know our 13th favorite game of the year i had really great memories of playing to call this year once at a geekway convention with you jake i actually purchased a copy and played it a handful more times i played it on fourth of july sort of as i was like doing this large cooking project i would come back and jump back into a game of to call during the daylight hours and loved that play of it i think to call is awesome it just a little bit overstays its welcome i think yeah i think that's right i to me, it also suffers just a little bit from like comparison to another very similar game that we're going to talk about in just one second um, as well. But it, you can't talk about Tikal without mentioning the fact that on your turn, you get 10 action points Oof. to allocate, which is just insane by today's standards. And I think for that reason, it's just an incredibly interesting game that like I feel like people who like this podcast and like we do kind of diving into the decisions in games like this is the one, you know, if you want to play a game from that kind of like late 90s era of board game design play this like, game play this as a distinction from kind of like a more modern design aesthetic right we talked about architects of the west kingdom where the flow is great it just whips around the table everybody's taking like a short micro action in t call you get to have 
huge game warping moves every single turn which is super fun and interesting to experience but also like right like you're saying it does tend to to make things drag a little bit longer by our same sort of modern design taste but if i played t-call more it might be higher up on this list i've only got two plays of it on the table and i had an awesome time playing both of them so you know it's a winner for sure check it out highly recommend awesome okay so that was t-call and the next game on the list is also a Kramer and Kiesling game, Torres. So Torres is in the Mask trilogy, but it's like the secret fourth game in the trilogy. And it innovates incredibly on this 10 action point system by reducing it to five. And that just makes to me like it's not and honestly like I, the difference between how much I enjoy these games is really pretty tight i I like them both but it does feel like a very welcome change uh in the sense that like combinatorically it's just way easier to add up a combination of actions it just makes things a little bit more manageable and you know my taste in games were defined by this kind of more modern era of games uh so that just makes more sense with my brain like this feels like more reasonable like how much how a turn should should last (laughs) it's so funny though because this is also a 1999 release according to board game geek and it won the spiel drs in 2000 so So the back-to-back winner yeah and they're like we can make this a five action (laughs) point game we'll clean it the other really interesting thing both both these games are sort of like area majority games where you're building out the board as you play and there's also like an element of verticality which is so cool so different i feel like torres heightens that a little bit too in the in the sense that like players have even more control of how the game plays out the shape of the board and like the end result of board can be so totally different game to game like in t-call you're getting the same tiles the layout's gonna be you know relatively in the same ballpark not the case in torres people so you're building these little castles on the board and everybody could be just building the same castle the whole time and you end the game and there's like just one mega super castle that everybody's trying to scramble up as high as they can the whole time and another game totally different like tons of different little castles the depth in this game is totally insane super fun game also it's available to play free on yukata so if t call too difficult to track down a copy you owe it to yourself to try this one it's an awesome design and i had torres at 13 but i really enjoy torres i think that torres might be the most abstract game we've ever covered on decision space and probably i mean it's and when you also say abstract like chess like chess like yeah, yeah exact classic abstract type game yeah but the novel twist on that feel is that it's a card driven game so if to call presents you with a menu of actions torres presents you with a menu of actions and an asterisk that says oh also you can have a cards in your hand and you can optionally draw more of those cards or fewer of those cards with your actions and then those are actually the best actions that you can take so you should be interacting with the system because these actions represent sort of rule breaking moves that you can take and there's just enough of them but not so many of them that you can plan around them the more you play the game that gives the game this really phenomenal depth uh, every time i play torres i just think wow 
the, Taurus is the kind of game where if I only could have 10 games, I might pick Taurus as one of them. I hear what you're saying totally. And like the depth is so great because it's like, yes, you have to interact with the card system, but also you have three blocks to place a turn. So that's yep. three or five actions right there. And if you, you don't, don't have to, you don't have to, but it's like use them or lose them. So yep. like if you're not placing blocks in an advantageous way for you, that feels really bad. At the same time, like you have to be putting more knights on the board so you can score and move them around. So it's like, you know, it's just like that perfect tension of like, I want to be doing everything, but I can't. Uh, and I think that is like the makings of a really deep and engaging decision space. Agreed. So Jake, should we move to our number 11 game of the year? Let's do it. Okay, so this one actually is a game that has, I think at this point, sort of popularly known by two names. It was originally published as Wabash Cannonball. Then it was published as Chicago Express. That's typically what Jake and I call it. It's now been republished by Rio Grande Games as Wabash Cannonball. You can buy (laughs) this game now as Wabash Cannonball. I have mostly played Chicago Express, but it's essentially the exact same game. I just want to get that out of the way. Chicago Express or Wabash Cannonball is a a cube rails game in which you are vying for control uh, of ownership of four different railroad companies trying to head west. It's a game of shared incentives where you are trying to not only own the right train companies, but own enough of the right train companies that you can manipulate what those companies are doing at the right times in terms of how they're moving across a map that depicts different cities that you want to get those uh, railroads to. You have a shared actions uh, they can only happen a certain number of times in each round of the game. So there's a certain number of auctions that can happen in a round, a certain number of builds, building, placing new tracks to the board that can happen around expansion, I think it's called, a certain number of development that you can do. And that essentially dictates the whole pace and flow of the game. Because auctioning off an, a new share in one of these railroads is a really powerful action. But you know what else is really powerful? Expanding one of those railroads. So you find yourself feeling this really crunchy uh, sort of decision after decision after decision in this game where it's sort of like, do I do I take this thing that would be really helpful? And if I don't do this thing, it's going to be really terrible. Or do I do that thing where if I didn't do it, it'd be really terrible. But if I do that, it's going to be really terrible because I should have auctioned. And this game is almost impossible to solve. There's no randomness, but it's all about the decisions that other people make at the table. So you have to do a lot of speculating on player behavior in an interesting and fun way. Yeah, I think this game is like such a great example of like where our tastes diverge. I think we both agree that this is like a really kind of elegant and fun, cool game system. But for me, so this is your number five game of the year, my number 15. So there's a pretty big delta there. And I think for me, like this one feels like almost a little bit too negotiation-y or like Mm. too... I felt like that on one end and on the other end, like maybe a little too prescriptive. Like I felt Mm. like our plays, you kind of like, once you played this a bunch of times, they're kind of like only a couple... The decisions are like, do I expand or do I call an auction? But like when you're expanding, it's kind of like, yeah, the red train has to sort of go this way. The I know we disagreed about that on the podcast, but <laughs> it felt like like the actual like decisions on track lay- laying wasn't that interesting. Or like, oh, I should like buy a share so I could like derail that train and that 
didn't really feel like a viable choice a lot of time. And I just felt like a lot of our games came down to like this interesting question of like, do I try for, do I go for first at all costs or am I happy getting second? Mm. And I think like that left me feeling like a little bit frustrated at times as somebody is like, oh sure, I'll take second and just like propel the person who's like has them just like, you know, dead to rights, right? Like they have better, more shares of the same trains or whatever. And like the second place person is like propelling them to victory. And that leaves the people on the outside looking at just like, well, there's nothing really I can do to help myself in this situation. I think that's just like a part of this game system and something that like different groups have to like navigate. Um, And so, you know, that's just not something I loved about like the play experience even as i can like really appreciate this design and want to play more cube rails or even heavier train games in the future because after all we are the train game podcast i think for me my my little closing rebuttal will be i think what i love about chicago express is that it's a game of inches so every time i play chicago express it's fun to see how a few inches in terms of action of a specific railroad company or of a specific auction at a specific time can create this ripple effect that totally changes the shape of the game. And then you have games where the, oh my gosh, yellow, yellow sucks. No one likes that railroad. Oh my gosh, it made it to Chicago first. Like you have these outlier games that are so interesting and fun. I just, every time I play it, even though it feels almost prescriptive, it's sort of like that's the bones of the game. But every time you play, you get to see what the flesh looks like of that particular play. And that's exciting to me. So that's my number five game of the year, our number 11, Chicago Express. And I'll leave you with the last word, but remind people that they can definitely check out more of my thoughts on the podcast that we did on this one earlier. Okay, so up next is our number 10 game of the year. We're into the top 10. And this is, Jake mentioned when we were covering Arc Nova that it might be the heaviest game we covered it this year because this is the other contender and it is Barrage. Barrage is a highly interactive, economic, sort of Euro rondelle driven building game in which you're building infrastructure, trying to harvest water that's flowing down the board and turning it into energy that you use to fill contracts and trade that essentially trading those contracts in for points. But it's so much easier said than done because you're all building in the same spaces and you can even use each other's infrastructure in some cases. Not only that, you can just block each other's infrastructure in many cases in this game, potentially rerouting the flow of water down mountains. There's a lot going on in this game beyond what I could ever describe. And all of that sort of onboard interaction of of that building interactive puzzle is sort of undergirded by this really interesting worker placement system that feels cutting and sharp where you're always kind of up in each other's business, competing over key locations, managing a a number of different worker types all at the same time. Oh, and there's asymmetric player powers. Oh, also the objectives are different every time you play, or at least in a different order. I think Barrage, this is my number nine game of the year. I think it's there because I tend to prefer and have a taste for slightly lighter games, but Barrage is undeniably one of my favorite heavy games of all time. I think Barrage is phenomenal. This is... This is a game where I had to beg myself not to buy it, knowing it would be so hard to get to the table for me and my playgroup. And I would just return to it, just saying, I think I could justify it. I think I could. 
And then I just, no, I can't, I can't. I'll just play it on BJ. I'll just play it on BJ. But I think Barrage is just a phenomenal design accomplishment uh, because of the ways in which it manages being this heavy, interactive, economic Euro game that is still interactive in a way that doesn't feel like you're throwing the game away to someone just making an off-the-wall decision. It's kind of punting the game. Like yeah. Jake maybe feels about Chicago Express, a much lighter game. Yeah, it's like it definitely deserves to be in the pantheon of like best heavy Euro games of all time. It's wow. just like an awesome game. I think it might be higher on our list, honestly, if like we had covered it later in the mm. year because mm. it did, we covered it pretty early on. And I remember talking on the podcast, like, don't be intimidated by this game. Yeah, it has like this reputation of being like heavy and like mean, but like you're always getting fun actions, like you're always doing something in this game. But like it is it's been hard for me to like like I feel like it's not a game I can just like casually revisit every once in a while because like the rules are gone, like out of my head. Yeah. Like it didn't doesn't have that like sticky rules quality that it's hard to like put my finger on like why that is that like another other heavier games, like even uh, Arc Nova. Uh, just feel a little bit stickier and like less intimidating to go back to for whatever reason. Interesting. I feel the exact opposite, but that's great. So anyway, I don't know. I think that's why for me, it, it fell down to, to number 10, despite just like having an awesome time with it, thinking it's a totally phenomenal game. And I think we should like make the effort and play some more. Of I'll this. play it with you right now. Let's play it, dude. Let's, let's get it going. It. Okay, great. Dude, I'll put after this, I'll put an invite in our uh, Discord if anyone else wants to hop on. Amazing. Let's do it. It'll okay. totally be filled by the time people listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. No chance. <laughs> yeah, so. That's but you awesome. can still come and then we'll play like another game with you when you're here. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's our number 10 game of the year. This is my number nine, Jake's number 10, our combined number 10, Barrage, a Simone Luciani, Tommaso Batista game. Our number nine game of the year is a Steffenfeld game that I have ranked significantly higher than Jake, a much bigger Steffenfeld fan than me. This is In the Year of the Dragon. In the Year of the Dragon is a tableau building game that was first published in 2007, uh, in which you're trying to... Uh, this game is driven by a novel action selection mechanism. Again, it's a Steffenfeld game. I'm going to say that again. It is driven by a novel action selection mechanism. Wait, what? And, <laughs> yes. It's say that action. one more time for the people in the back. No. Yes. So there's a, a series of cards that get dealt that show these different actions into groupings on the table of, and these actions are certain things that you can do, like maybe gain more gold or build onto your palace or gain rice or gain fireworks or move up the warrior track. I don't, that's definitely not the real name for it, but these different important it actions in the game. Sounds right. Honestly, that'd be great if it was. And all of which you really want to do, but these end up grouped together depending on player count in different clusters uh, such that taking any action in a group, if you're the first person to take one of those actions in that group, and the groups change every round, they're just randomly set up, is free. Uh, but if you want to take an action that someone else has already taken, uh, an action in that group, you have to pay. And resources are so tight in, in the Year of the Dragon. You're starving. Every drop of resource that you can get in this game feels just like mana from Stefan Feld's design genius. And you feel so fortunate and you feel it's 
every time you make the decision to spend anything, it's sort of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm making this decision to spend my hard-earned resources on this. Uh, but at times you're forced. And I think that makes for a really interesting decision space. In the Year of the Dragon is said to be one of the most brutal games. I think certainly Seffenfeld's ever designed. But I think that is sort of in the popular milieu of board games because most of the time when you play in the year of the dragon when you're learning this game the game goes like this okay i i have a palace there's two spaces and i have two people in it turn three my people are dead turn four (laughs) my people are dead you just and the game is about trying to build up your palace and add people to it and the more you play this game the more you can accomplish that goal but the learning experience of this is brutal but because it's brutal, it means that it's tremendously rewarding. And a mastery of In the Year of the Dragon, I think, is among... This is one of my favorite board games to play because my plays of it from my first place, Jake, and my plays of it once I played 30 times are just what I'm accomplishing in the systems. It feels like I'm sprinting compared to learning to walk. Uh, and that's a really fun experience when a lot of board games are much uh, less trusting of the player to want to return to the game that's been mean to them in the past. It's fun. It's different every time. There's, I could go on and on and on about the cool systems, the way you can see the shape of the game and plan ahead, the way other people's decisions really matter, trying to read what people are trying to accomplish and win. Uh, and it's also highly variable, and it's just good. I think this game is awesome. I want This is another one. I'm putting, I'm putting a game in our Discord right now. Yeah, I bought this one after covering it on the podcast. So I was like, you know what? I didn't think I liked it, but I think it's good enough to get added to my like small little collection of Steffenfeld games. Um, but I haven't been able to like find the right time to get it to the table. So I think that's like taking it down a small notch for me. It's the number my number 13 game of the year. And I think like everything I said about like not being intimidated about Barrage, it's like the reverse for like in the year of the dragon. Like you should kind of be intimidated. Like it's actually kind of intimidating to put in front of people because like not only will you fail but the game will like kind of call you stupid because it like shows you everything that's going to happen it's like your people are going to starve in round three so like you probably prepared for that right right it's like i did not i didn't (laughs) now i suffer the consequences so anyway i I think it is like a a super fun game it's another one that's like not as sticky rules wise for me as i want to be there's a lot of different actions to to kind of remember and teach for like a pretty quick game but it's a good one and like worth the effort Uh, but i think you have to like really want to put in the effort uh so maybe like not for everyone i think it's it's fair to say but let's go to our next game uh the number eight consensus game of the year for us and it is twa or as i'm fond of saying Troy, don't do it. <laughs> Designed by Sebastian Dujardin, Javier Georges, and Elaine Orban. So this is a game that, like, every time I do one of these lists, and when I, I remember when I did my like top fifty games of all time, I was surprised like how high Twop makes it up for me. This was my number four game of the year. And I just love everything you're doing about this game. I like dice placement. I like input randomness of that. Uh, I feel like uh, there's a really fun puzzle to unpick on every turn. You know, very Castles of Burgundy-esque where every single turn of the game, like, uh, you know, you're presented with like a little decision space Sudoku puzzle that feels like you can kind of solve for that. And then that 
you know, but it's hard to do everything perfectly because there's a lot of hidden information. Uh, you have to predict what your opponents are going to do, not do. Uh, you're, you know, trying to get cards and trying to fight Plague. So, like, you can't ever do everything you want. And I think this is a great case where it feels like the sum of the individual parts, which I like all of, combine to just create a wonderful playing experience that just for me as a gamer like it just hits all all my buttons and i find that people who like more interaction in games they find that in this one as well uh so it's like a a game that's like doing what i get to like have my fun and like play in my own toy box but like other people are like yeah it's interactive enough too so like it's kind of like a happy medium euro game in that sense as well so twa and for me, Twa is, here's the pitch how Twa usually goes when someone who likes Twa is going to pitch it to you as a game you should play. Twa is this really great classic Euro game that has this novel and interesting uh, hidden objective system where everyone has their own objectives at the table and you have to kind of suss out what everyone's objectives are. And that's the fun of the game. But for me, the fun of Twa is actually the variable actions and combos that come out of those actions that you can just treat them as like a a little black box that you just shove dice into and then out of them explode amplitudes of of fun and sort of like implicit uh, sort of action in the system that you can't believe is possible in a Euro game as structured and tight as Twa. This is a game about zany actions and combos masquerading as a game about like 30 other things for me. I think Twa is really cool because Twa kind of ends up being the like the type of media experience where you get a little bit of everything, but it does a little bit of everything really, really well. Yeah, Twa it, is, it, is great. It's like for the different kind of gamer, like you can kind of find what you want. Like yeah. if you like kind of like deducing intentions of players, like it has that and like that can be like a big game experience. If you just like efficiency puzzles, like you can do it that way. Of her yeah. there too. If you like taking something away from somebody else, you know, you're going to have fun uh, and and you can kind of like lean into whatever aspect you like. So it's an awesome game. My number four of the year, Brendan's number 12 and jumping right along to our number seven game of the year. We are in push your luck territory. It is the classic distilled push your luck game. Can't stop. 1980. 1980. Brendan, designer? Sid Saxon. Let's go. I I think we need to cover more Sid Saxon. Hey, maybe that's the 2024 designer. Acquire. Yeah, Acquire. I played that this year for the first time, and man, I loved it. But anyway, Can't Stop is a game where you're just trying to roll four dice, combine them in order to move up tracks that go from two. So you combine two dice to move up tracks ranging from two to 12 it's you have to get to the top of three tracks in order to win the game and it's much shorter to get up the tracks that have lower odds of being rolled like the two and the 12 only take three stops to get up there where the seven is like 12 or something very very simple game i think is a game that like you might be surprised that i'm the one introducing it over Brendan because I think I was a lot more critical of it on our podcast. Um, But like, despite my criticisms about like how uh, engaging, like the decision space truly is the one thing that is like undeniable about can't stop is it's just a blast to interact with. Right. It's just fun fun to roll a bunch of dice, 
and you know see if you bust or not that's always going to be exciting and like just in such a simple rule set like the amount of excitement and fun packed into this game is like it's just hard to top i can't believe jake that somehow in the course of human history we ended up at 1980 before sid saxon plucked this beautifully mathematically perfect game from the ether and gave it to the world. There's just something about the structure of this game that feels like eminently classic in a way that's mind boggling that it, no one had thought of it before. And playing it, like you said, Jake, is just a blast. Nothing about this game makes any sense. It's zany. You can come back from nothing to win the game. You can have these wild starts where you just, you have nothing to lose. So you have everything to gain and you just take bonkers risks that put you so far ahead that you're laughing at everyone else on the table only for someone to, you know, catch up and negate your entire lead out of nowhere because they get up the track that you were so far ahead on just the next turn. I think it's a great time. It's a, this, we, we like to say, oh, that's a game you can play with anyone. Can't Stop is a game you can play with anyone. I think for me, this is my number 10 game of the year. I think Can't Stop is brilliant. It's great in any format you could play. It gets a slight hit for me because it's better to play digitally where the math is just done for you, the pairs are created for you, yeah. than it is at the table where you kind of have to watch everyone. It's a little slower. But Can't Stop is amazing. I'm so glad we covered it. I'm so glad it exists. Uh, push Your Luck Brilliance. It's so exciting. Yeah. Our number seven game of the year. Oh, it's... That brings us to our number six game of the year. Finally, at long last, we've reached Colorado. Okay, so we talked about a little bit of, about Colorado already on this show, uh, but Colorado is a set collection card game in which you're trying to collect cards of different colors, and you're going to score points uh, in a triangular fashion based on the number of those colors that you have. So the first card you get of a color, I, I say you'll have one, then three. Uh, if you have two, it's three. If you have three, it's five. If you have five, it's uh, eight, and so on. So you really want to get a lot of cards uh, of the same color. But... The trick here is you score positive points for your three largest colors and then negative points for every other color that you've collected. So there's a, a real push and pull in terms of what colors you might be trying to go for. So there's a lot of different colors in this game. And the way you're going to be getting cards is every turn, every round, uh, there's going to be these different rows equal to the number of players. And each row uh, is going to have a card in it and then people can sort of go on their turn and say, do I want a card or do I want to add a new card to a row and then take or, uh, and then wait again for my next turn to see if I want to take a row or add another card. So there's this, again, push your luck type feel to this game in terms of you're pushing your luck in terms of what you're collecting, but you're also pushing your luck in terms of the colors you might be going for. There's also wilds that you can luck into that make comebacks. Uh, a real possibility. Colorado feels somewhere between a card game that you can play with your grandma and gambling in a way that I think is a pleasant, joyful, and just delightful family fun. Colorado is the kind of game where, you know, some of the games we cover, Jake, I'm like, wow, this is a brilliant design. I can't believe that like someone worked really hard on this. And then there's games like Colorado where it's like, wow, this is a brilliant design. There were so few knobs to turn in this game to get right. And yet they're all tuned just perfectly to the right spots to make yeah. a game that will last forever. That's such a great point, right? Like it feels like just so similar to Can't Stop in that like, 
like this game always like existed because of like math existing like this is almost like the perfect like perfect distillation of like triangular scoring yeah this is the the i i think it is this is like the eminent example of triangular scoring always and forever right it's like that's almost the whole game it's just like playing with that concept uh and yeah i mean it's it's like a perfect like you know 10 out of 10 design yep um because it's just like a perfect example of like what it is it inspired me to work on my own colorado variant this year uh so you know to say it's like a design love for me is selling it short it's not you know, a game I would always pick to play if I, you know, have a game night together. So it is just like such a light, you know, simple thing, but it's a blast. I've like it loved playing it. I've loved showing it to people this year. Uh, and I expect that would never change. Hilarious, painful, funny, and fun. Colorado yeah. has it all. And in the game you can teach in th- one minute. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That's our number six game of the year, Colorado. That was my number seven and Jake's number eight game combined that's interesting that it bumped up um my num- okay then we have our number five game of the year babylonia babylonia is a reiner canizia tile lane game in which you are playing uh playing these tiles of your own color to a shared board that depict nobles of uh these sort of three different symbols. These symbols correspond to symbols represented on uh, cities on this hexagonal board laid out in front of you where you're trying to connect your uh, tiles that depict a symbol to cities that depict that symbol as well because you'll score when that city is completely surrounded. But at the same time, you're not just going for cities. Uh, And not only will you score for the tiles that you've surrounded it with, but you'll score for chains connected uh, sort of to that city. So if you can create a chain connected to multiple cities, you'll score those tiles twice. You're also trying to pursue points from farms, this other sort of scoring point sink on the table, uh, and also ziggurats, this powerful uh, space that they're always staying in the same place. The cities are variable, randomized each time, but every time you place next to it, you get one point for every ziggurat you've already placed next to, incentivizing you to go wide. But if when a ziggurat's fully surrounded, you are the player who has the most tiles around them, uh, you get a special power that totally breaks the game and is probably going to meaningfully change the shape of the game permanently. This game's dynamic, exciting, different every time, tense, has a broad range of strategies, is really great at two players, really great at three players, really great at four players. It is easy to teach. It has very dynamic turns because there's also these farmer tiles that you can build that introduce this nice uh, tile management sort of almost like a hand management, but in tiles system where you're trying to get just enough farmers that you can gush them out on the table because normally you can only play two tiles, but you can play as many farmer tiles as you want. And yeah, it just has this delicious pacing. It's different every time. It's great. I think Babylonia is, it's my number one game of the year. It's one of my favorite games of all time. I want to play it right now. And yeah, you should go play Babylonia, our number five game of the year. Jake, what do you think of Babylonia? I feel bad that like i'm sandbagging babylonia down to five because i had it as my number 14 game of the year that comes with a crucial caveat that i've only played it one time when we played together at geekway i wasn't the person reviewing the game on the podcast that was your wife maya who did 
excellent job. We should say thank you again, Maya, for jumping on uh, and doing that. And all of our other guest reviewers as well. I know uh, we had Aurora with us covering Barrage as well. Hopefully, I'm not forgetting other people. But think, yeah, thanks yeah. to all our guests this year. And so, yeah, my one play was pleasant. It, you know, it would have been like so hard for that one single play to like elevate this game above a bunch of other games on this list that I played like 10, 20 times each and, you know, had a blast really exploring the decision space. I said it before, I'll say it again, that like Reiner Knizia games that he designs often strike me as like both less and more than you're expecting when you play them by that. I mean, the first time you play, you're like, yeah, that was nice. That was good. Yeah. yeah. And then you play it again. You're like, yeah, no, I definitely like this. And you play it like three times. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've played lost cities a hundred times. Like, I guess this is like one of the best My games ever. Game of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did that even happen? And I could see that totally happening with Babylonia. I just haven't had the time with it. So that's the only reason that it's that low for me. Awesome. I think the final thing I almost got out but didn't add, Babylonia is amazing because it gives you a full game experience in 45 minutes, regardless of player count. It's just so good. Jake, what's our number four game of the year? Number four is Heat, a new 2023 game, a very hot game designed by (laughs) Heat Pedal to the Metal, designed by Asker Harding, Granarid, Daniel Skold, Peterson. Nice. Thanks, guys, for designing this game. So Heat is a racing game, a turn-based racing game, if you can even believe that. How could that possibly be fun? Well, let me tell you, it's like really fun. People uh, were surprised in our Discord that uh, we rated Heat as highly as we did. We both gave it a nine on our podcast. And I think that just comes from like, it's a game that does what it set out to do so well. Uh, It's like one of the best integrations of theme into the mechanics of a game that I've experienced in a long while, really that I can like remember. Uh, And the decision space is slight, right? We talked about it being like really small in scope. You don't have really that much agency each turn, but that there's a lot of room to grow and like push against those restraints and just like get incrementally better, doing like an incrementally better job as you learn to like manage your discard pile, manage your deck a little bit better. We're playing in our decision space tournament now. And I feel like even since we recorded that podcast, when was that? Last week, yep, <laughs> two, two weeks like ago, that. yep, like that. I've noticed, you know, that I'm improving and growing and still learning new things about this game. And as long as that's happening, then it's a game that, like, I'm going to continue to grow in my appreciation. If I'm learning, growing, and having fun playing it, that's like the magical combination for like a game that i'm going to keep wanting to get back to the table and play again and again and again and that's how i feel about heat right now and for me one of the things that will always stick with me about heat is that Heat is a game with a real sense of momentum it's a game that exists on on the table it, printed in paper in which you feel your your car accelerating you feel a sense of speed you feel a sense of of uh, a need to really slow down as things get too too tense, too fast as you approach a turn. I, I think this is one of those rare games to me, Jake, that 
there's nothing about it that's sort of aiming to be a simulation, but simulates the feel of what I imagine racing a car might be like so perfectly that to me, it feels like a thematic home run. It doesn't matter that I've never raced a car in that way and that I never will. It, it captures what I what I want it to feel like uh, through playing cards to a table. And that's the magic of board games. That's why Heat yeah. is, is my number six game of the year, your number five, and our combined number four game of the yeah. year. When you talk about agency as art, right? Yeah, Heat this is it. does that so well. Yep. All right. Top three. Here we are. And it wouldn't be a top three in the year of K&K without a Kramer and Kiesling game. So coming in at number three is Renature. My number one game of the year. Brendan's number eight. But Renature is, I think what I love about Renature so much is not just the decision space, but it feels like the type of game that only Kramer and Kiesling could have designed and only designed now. It's like a culmination. So it's a domino base game, which is like ancient board game technology. With animals on them. Yeah, with animals. So it's like nice and pleasant with like an area majority thing that's like so reminiscent of what they were doing in the late 90s with Tikal and Torres with kind of like modern design riffs of, you know, player game warping player powers that are really limited also like micro turns you just play one thing and you know do one action so the game like whips around the table it's another game that feels like a huge full experience that's 45 minutes uh and and it's out of there you know i think wolfgang kramer is you know in his early 80s and like i you know the fact that he's still designing games putting out something like as I think, you know, groundbreaking, wonderful as this truly has become one of my favorite games of all time is just like, you know, it's just something I'm I'm grateful for. Like, it's just so awesome. Uh, I don't think you, we would have this without, you know, somebody who's like clearly dedicated so much of their life to creating games that bring people like us joy, give us things to think about. Uh, and I just think it's amazing. So that's my gushing about Renature. Renature to me is a game that, I kind of can't, this is, it's the quirkiest game ever that, that we've covered on the show because it's dom, it's a domino driven area control game. Let me say that again. A domino driven area control game that depicts with game warping special powers with game warping <laughs> special powers. Renature is amazing, Jake. It, it's this, this is another one of those games that sort of mathematically, I don't always, when I think through the design burden of trying to figure out how to design a board in which this system of laying out dominoes around spaces that you're going to build area majorities around how that, how that mathematically works it, it kind of breaks my brain in a good way. I love it. I admire it. I think this game is really fun, really engaging. It's also very mean. This is a this is a game where you can get your teeth really knocked in by someone else. It's uh, kind but, of a Kramer and Kiesling hallmark too. I, I think it honest. is. It really <laughs> is. But it's also a game that I would happily play with my family uh, because I could roll up and I could pull out these nice little you know, domino tiles with animals on them uh, and sort of 
it's not that complicated of a teach. It's an uh, agency mitigator too, because somebody can just say like, well, yeah, I'm getting killed, but I got bad dominoes. Right, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. This game also, you know, you move down the board from the the sort of the headwaters down to the bottom, and it gives it this real sense of pacing and flow just sort of naturally that helps equip even beginner players with a sense of, oh, this game's about to end. The spaces are almost all filled up. I think there's a lot about the presentation of this game that helps onboard newer players, but makes really meaningful, interesting, and deep decisions accessible early on uh, because of the mechanisms that Jake alluded to, where you can sort of take these cloud powers and just make key vital board changing decisions a couple times a game in a way that's really admirable. If I said, you know, I love in the year of the dragon because I had to play it 30 times to really unlock how that game ticks. I think one of the real wins of Renature is the first or second time you play, you can make meaningful, deep, interesting strategic decisions that are fun and you don't have to give it a lot to get an immense amount in return. I love Renature. I could have rated it even higher. I, I think, you know, we didn't talk a lot about our methodology of rankings here. Jake, there's a different version of my list where this is in my top five. I think Renature's fantastic. Uh, and it's, it's, it might be, it's definitely in my top five Kramer and Keyson games. It's probably in my top three. And, and I'm not talking about games they designed together. I'm talking about games just either of them have designed, right? So we're talking about considering El Grande, considering Azul, considering Renature, considering Kuzco to call. These are all amazing games. I think this sneaks in there with El Grande and Azul for me as like my top three favorite games from them. Yeah. And I've got three boards now because I got the expansion and Ooh. it's like... So you can like go from the outside in instead of the headwaters or the inside out and playing those new boards not only like injected new life into the game, which it didn't need, but like made me want to like go back to the main game again and like revisit that in like the best way. So yeah, it's awesome, man. So good. My number one game of the year. Could not say enough about it. Uh, Renature. Check it out. Okay. Well, that brings us to our number two game of the year. This is another Kanitia game. Kanitia appearing twice on the list, but twice within the top five. This is a legacy game, the only legacy game we've ever covered on the show. But I think it ends up here because we also really love the Eternal game. This is My City. My City is a polyomino uh, tiling game in which you're trying to fill up a board in front of you that I think that if it had been uh, originally included on Windows 95 would be as famous as Tetris. Uh, This game is basically presents these sort of three different colors of tiles that you're trying to play to your board and get them clumped into large groups together. That's the most basic version of this. And the way that it is uh, orchestrated is there's a shared deck of cards. You flip that card, it shows a tile, you add that tile to your board. When you play the legacy version of the game, you play it over 24 games that each will take around 15 to 20 minutes to play. Uh, and they happen in these sort of little arcs of three games that meaningfully change the rules each time you play and dramatically change the rules every three games in a way that I think is exciting and fun. But from a narrative perspective, not interesting at all. This is not a narrative-driven legacy game. This is a mechanically-driven legacy game. And it's the lightest it's perfect legacy game. for us. Yeah, it's perfect for us. It's also super light. This is, this is not a... A complex game to learn it's not a complex game to play which is kind of great because it means that when you sit down to play it in its legacy format you can play it two or three times in one sitting and take a nice bite out of that whole meal of the the campaign overall 
But what I, Jake and I, you know, we, we played the legacy game. We both really enjoyed it. I think I've actually, it's not often I sit at a table playing a board game, Jake, and I have my, I can feel my heart pounding in my chest, right? Like you and I both love sports. One of the great things about sports is the real time nature of them means that there's real tense moments in which your heart can really be pounding. You feel the pressure on the line uh, in a way that you don't always when you play a board game. My heart pounded playing My City this year when I played my campaign with Maya towards the end of the campaign a couple times where we were just getting to the end and I wasn't quite sure who was going to win. We'd invested hours and hours of our life into this game and it was really exciting to see how it would play out. But there's also an eternal game, which is a version of the game Knizia made that sort of said, hey, if you don't want to play the whole campaign, you can just play this version. It's sort of the, the greatest hits of this whole box condensed into a 20 minute game. And I think that game actually, for me, elevates the offering of this box to sort of, while this is great, a, a niche experience I could recommend to someone who is interested in a light legacy game that they wanted to play 24 times in maybe 10 sittings, to something that I could say, even if you're not interested in the legacy game, the eternal game of this is one of the best polyomino games I've ever played. It's really fun. Yeah, we do like a family gift exchange and my sister was asking for a recommendation of a game for one of my cousins who she mm. like drew and so like literally tonight you know an hour for recording this i was like you should get them my city and it's just like the value proposition for this 30 us dollar box of like <laughs> yeah for like you know for two people to play together you get this whole campaign and also just like one of the best kind of like gateway weight board games of all time like yep. i don't know that this will be the case forever but for this year it's kind of kicked as taken over azul's space like you know kicked azul out of my collection even though mm. i'm keeping azul in that like this has been the game i've been most delighted to show to friends this year who are like aren't board gamers but have yeah. expressed an interest because i think it's just as simple maybe like a tiny bit more complicated to explain than azul but like it i feel like it gives you the the eternal game i'm talking about gives you more like of the things that I love in board games. Like you're building something, you're making fun choices, you're having those choices pay off or doom you, and like you're getting immediate feedback for it in a way that might be a little bit more difficult to parse through uh, in Azul. Also a great game, also like a 10 out of 10 design. Uh, but I mean, it's just an incredible game. And I mean, how novel, right? What a great innovation for a, the legacy game genre of like a legacy game that like actually you're, you're gonna keep <laughs> and keep playing after you finish the campaign and it's when not, you're probably not that you'll have like some wonky thing you can keep playing with that's maybe not balanced it's like we're actually gonna also give you like the curated version of the best thing you could have ever hoped to come up with at the end of the game on the back of the board yep and i think without so this is my number two game uh and my jake's number, number three, three. Jake, let's take out the Eternal game. Where does it? Where do you rank the? Like just off the cuff, it doesn't matter that much. I think for me, if you take out the Eternal game, I just want to highlight how much we both value and like the Eternal game. Because I think when in popular culture, when people talk about in terms of hobby board game popular culture, my city, they think always people think oh legacy game. But I'm I really want us to sort of champion and you know it's as it's yeah. been passed along to us the Eternal game of my city, which is just phenomenal and as good as the legacy game. I think without it for me, it's like it ends up around 10. 
Is it I, good? I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, it yeah. falls way down the list. And like, if you were to like pick up this game and never touch the legacy thing, yeah, like it's the worth legacy it. components of the box, like well worth the thirty bucks. Yeah. Like you're gonna have an awesome time. Like if you don't like legacy games, you should still play my, my city. city. Like I would still recommend it to you, which yeah. I think says a lot. Yeah. All right, awesome. Brendan, we've made it here at long last. It took all of 2023 to get to this point, but we did it. Here we are. There could be only one, and it probably won't be a surprise to anyone who's been with us on this journey all year that our consensus number one game, best decision-based game of 2023 is Challengers. Yes. <laughs> so Challengers is something, to me, it's something brand new in the board game space. It's taken the video game genre of auto battlers and translated it into a board game in a way that could only exist in a board game and did so, you know, clearly we think very well. Challengers is a game that is giving you all of like the fun and excitement of going to a card game tournament, something that we've both done in the past and enjoyed, uh, which maybe elevates it for us. So it gives you a card game tournament in a box and gives you that entire experience in an hour if you're playing in person or 20 minutes if you're playing online. Uh, in a game of Challengers, it takes place over two phases. In one phase, you'll be adding cards to your deck. In the second phase, you'll be playing a game of war, just flipping cards off the top of your deck, trying to win a small game of tug of war. Some people in the board game space feel like there's not really a lot to it. It's too random. Not a lot of decisions, maybe? Not a lot of decision space. As the experts on decision space, we're here to tell you they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Challengers is a phenomenal game that plays one to eight players design it's designed by i want to just make sure to name the designers because i, I think oh yeah, yeah we were remiss not to johannes krenner and marcus Slavitschek. jake this game is a drafting game you make the most meaningful decisions in the game while you're drafting and the battle the actual when you're faced up against an opponent, Jake mentioned it's a tournament you're assigned against a, a different opponent each round. Uh, if you're playing a full eight-player game, you're going to play against uh, potentially all of the other players. Uh, but you're making your meaningful decisions while you're building your deck. Uh, that deck of cards that you're functionally going to end up playing war with. There's some cards that allow you to make decisions while the resolutions are happening. But again, the core here is you get dealt uh, a clutch of cards, pick the cards you want to add to your collection, uh, and then roll with them. But the meaningful and interesting thing about Challengers is the archetypes around the decks that you can build and go into are overlaid on one another in such a meaningful, interesting way. And the way in which you're presented these cards is variable enough that you were just presented time and time and time and time and time again, interesting, challenging, meaningful, fun decisions to make around what type of deck you should be building, what type of deck you should be building for who you think is doing best at the table and who you might end up against, what type of deck you think you, what cards you should go into because you're behind and you need to go to a higher a higher luck strategy to try to pull out a win. Oh, you're in the lead. What type of deck should you pivot to to play it a little safer, to have some guaranteed wins? Uh Challengers is also just exciting. It's the kind of game Jake and I talk about how we really like games that have high highs and low lows. Challengers is a game that delivers that in spades. Sometimes you end up, you know, just being dealt 
a deck that is just bonkers good. And it's fun to see that played to the end. And sometimes, and sometimes you, get, you get a bonkers good deck and don't win a single game because of like luck of the draw. And that is painful, but makes me want to go, okay, one more. And sometimes you get dealt a bad deck and manage to win. And the interesting thing about challengers and trying to get better at it is being able to recognize, oh, wait, I won. But I probably didn't deserve that, and I'm not going to take the wrong lessons away from that. I think Challengers is really fun and that it allows anyone to play, but there's enough hidden below the surface that if you really want to engage with it, it invites you to and rewards you for doing so meaningfully in a fun way. I think Challengers is one of those rare games that operates on multiple levels. This is a party game that you could just pull out and play with eight people and have a blast and maybe do that two or three times in your ownership of the game and have it be well worth the purchase. This is also a game that, like Jake and I, you could go out and you could try to play 200 times on Board Game Arena, maybe more, and really feel rewarded with each of those plays, really meaningfully get better uh, and feel engaged. And, you know, it's it's one of the best card games I've played. Uh, and it's also one of the games where there's the fewest decision points within that card game in a really fun, engaging way. Yeah. I just went ahead and looked and I played this game 193 times this year. Um, I have slowed down on it a bit, but like there, there's no other game that even comes close this year for like how much I, I just like caught fire and just yeah. wanted to play this. Like there was a, a time where I was play like a couple games every morning while I was having coffee and just having a total blast playing it. Uh, I do feel like it's a the type of game, just like other card games like Magic, that are like better for like more content being added into the system. Like at a certain point, it's not really criticism because I played it 193 times. <laughs> like you've seen combos, you kind of like know what you should be going for and like what's good in the meta. And fortunately, we already have a second release of Challengers, the Beach Cup that came out um, that I haven't had the chance to play with, but you know I can't wait and I hope that it gets added to Board Game Arena so that I can really get a bunch of reps in. Because I, I think if they added it, I'd probably play 193 more games. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's our number one game of the year on Decision Space, Challengers. Okay, awesome. Jake, that brings us to a really exciting point in this episode. Woo, we did it, but... Our community has put in a lot of effort too. All of you have been uh, listening along throughout the whole year. And some of you have taken the time to go in and rank all of these games along with us. Caveat, we forgot to list In the Year of the Dragon among the games that are community ranks because we technically covered it in 2020, in 2022, but didn't include it in our 2022 rankings. It was like the first episode we did last year in sort of the new cycle. So we snuck it in the last minute. So the rankings did not include in the year of the dragon. I don't think it would have ended up in the top 10. Probably not. It's pretty polarizing. It is a polarizing game. But so Jake, I want to start with talking about the two games we rated higher than the audience, two games the audience ranks higher, rated higher than us, and then let's do the top 10 bottom to top. Do you know how many people did the poll? I do. 60 people. Wow, that's awesome. That's got to be a record, right? For, for us, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay, so the two games we rated higher than the audience are Challengers in My City, and the two games the audience rated higher than us were Barrage and Arc Nova. Jake, do you want to do... Makes perfect sense, honestly. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Do you? How should we do this? Do you want... Why don't I do 10 through through 6, and you okay. do 5 through 1? We're just reading them. 
We're just going to read them. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So these are the decision space community rankings as voted on by listeners like you. Number 10, challengers. That's the biggest delta for sure. Uh, then you have can't stop at number nine. And number eight, our community rated trois. Number seven, our community picked my city. Six was T-Call. Our community likes to call more than us. I think that's amazing. Pretty surprising it's that high up, especially since it doesn't have like a obvious online implementation. And it's, yeah, it's not a new game. It's a 24-year-old game. <laughs> and number five, Heat. Number four, Arc Nova. Number three, Renature. That's a surprise too. I think that that's that high up there yep. for our community, though they're right. Number two, Barrage. And number one, Babylonia. And Babylonia, Jake, was number one by like a significant margin. That is crazy to me. Yeah. Because again, it doesn't have like a real obvious easy way to play it online. Yeah. You know, I would think that those games would do worse. The games with online implementations would do better without more people can play them and enjoy them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much to all of you who have listened to Decision Space throughout this entire year. Uh, And a a special thanks to all of you who took the time to rate the games. I think it's fun seeing where we sort of align with our community and where we differ, but more fun to see where we will align. Yeah, it's really interesting too, like... I think our top 10, like we almost have the same top 10 games. Games in a different order. Right. We had In the Year of the Dragon in our top, that was our nine. So that kind of threw things off. And the only one we didn't have in there was T-Call. That they sure, and Arc which Nova. is a great game. I think both Nicola of us and Arc Nova, it, it, right? And Arc Nova is my fault. And I think both of us would be happy if to call fell into our top ten somehow. Totally, yeah, yeah, awesome. I'll also say the two games that Jake and I differed on most this year were Babylonia. I had it number one. Jake had it fourteen. Chicago Express. I had it five. Jake had it fifteen. That's kind of fun. And then Jake, do you want to do the oldest games we covered this year? It's kind of a fun stat. Yeah. Uh, so in number three, Torres, 1999. Number two, T. Call, 1999 also, but later and technically 2000, according to the Spiel jury. And then our number one oldest game, Can't Stop, 1980. Take that hotness. Decision Let's space go. for you. And then I will just really quickly for all of our listeners, if we've gone through these lists very quickly, they've all been in audio format. If you'd like to see them written out, Both our overall list, Jake's list, my list, and the community list are all on our website, decisionspacepodcast.com, under the page for this episode. If you go to the homepage, decisionspacepodcast.com, and scroll down, if you're listening to this when it just came out, you'll see it right there. Awesome. And lastly, thank you so much again for listening this year. This brings us to the end of this kind of epic year-end capstone episode our 150th ever episode so we just want to say if you're still listening at this point you're truly a decision space super fan we want to say thank you and you are also the people we are counting on to review the show and support us on patreon brendan do you want to announce our goal for 2024 yeah do we do we agree on this goal real quickly (laughs) this is all i could do it seems ambitious, but yes, good. I, okay. I like where your head's at. So we're already at 39 patrons, which I think is incredible. We're so thankful for everyone who supports the show in any way, and especially so financially through Patreon. But I think it would be incredible for the show if we hit 65 patrons this year. That'd be a monumental growth. 
that would really meaningfully change, I think, the, the ways in which Jake and I could think about the way that we reinvest the money that we receive from our Patreon in the decision space to make meaningful content for our listeners like you. Yeah. We should say we just made it like into like black, like this year. This year, we yeah, bought, yeah. Yeah, like like last month. We finally like got Decision like, Space has not lost us money as of last month after 150 episodes. <laughs> right. That's cool. So we're, that's great. So we're not that's awesome. So we're not like making money off this and like but from this point forward, we can start thinking differently, right? It's not just about recapping the investment that we've been yep. putting in, but like actually thinking with more of like a growth and abundance mindset so that's awesome uh and if you consider doing that amazing we also do bonus episodes maybe every uh like 10 new patrons so if one more patron boom yeah bonus episode for you how about that and then 50 and 60 and then 65 something special so and if you're curious what you get you get uh i mean besides supporting supporting the show that you enjoy listening to that's the main thing that's the biggest (laughs) most important main thing but there's also uh, early access usually to our notes. We, we have a comprehensive notes documents for every show. Jake has been uploading videos. Of and we'll continue us, to do so. <laughs> uh, of us recording the podcast. So it's like unedited video feed. Hello uh, to those of you watching this. Uh, and then p- periodically we also invite our patrons to vote on the games we'll cover in deep dives on the show. Uh, So coming up at some point in 2024 is going to be Food Chain Magnate, a game that our patrons graciously (laughs) said we would love for you to cover. Jake and I are going to find a way. We're going to cover a splatter on Decision Space in 2024. It's going to be good. And maybe the best perk of all is you get to be in the crew special access channel in our Discord, which is like awesome, active Discord channel where we can be really candid and like get feedback and you know, it's it's really becoming like an awesome, supportive community. Uh, and I think, you know, only bigger and better things in the future. So more things to look forward to coming up again. One break week. You won't see us in your feed next week. Come back in two weeks for our state of the show episode. We'll talk about all things decision space, past, present and future. And then in 2024, alongside Food Chain Magnet, we're definitely covering Ticket to Ride. We are the train game podcast after all. Jake and I have played this classic hero a lot. Uh, and I think we have meaningful thoughts. I think that's going to be a really oh, good episode. I'm, 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 I'm excited it. about it. And definitely yeah. covering Planet Unknown as well. That's, that is going to be a good one too. And so look Zubatis. forward to those. And Zuvatis, maybe. So play those ones on Board Game Arena over break. And we'll see you back on the other side in 2021. Or 2024. And what's going on? <laughs> and <raw>. Okay. Before <laughs> Brendan... <laughs> promises anything else we're gonna close up the show and thank y'all for the incredible year and we will see you next one uh and thank henry for intro and outro music reach out goodbye bye, bye.